Amen. Thank you very much, Mark. Well, thank you so much for letting me be with you today. It's really my privilege. Would you mind uh, praying to our Father and asking for His help as we look into His Word together today? Let's pray and ask for help. God, thank you so much for Jesus. We remember, especially in that last song, that all of our hope in life is wrapped up in Jesus. If you had not sent Him to take our condemnation we deserve for our sin, if you hadn't sent Him to shed His blood for us, to stand in our place and take the punishment that we deserve for our sin, if you had not sent Him to pay that ransom payment, we would be facing the second death this morning. We would be facing eternal condemnation cut off from your kindness and your presence and your mercy and your glory forever. We would live hopeless and helpless lives in this world cut off from you. And our lives would be misery and they would end in death and the second death. And that is a horrible thought. That is a hard reality. But the wonderful news that we've celebrated today is that Jesus came here. You sent Him to give His life as a ransom for many. You sent Him to stand in our place and to live the completely righteous life that we could never live, the life You demand of us to fulfill every one of those requirements. And even more than that, You sent Him to die on the cross, to be brutally murdered, to take Your wrath, all of the eternal suffering we would face in hell, that eternal conscious torment as the just payment, He absorbed all of that from You, God the Father, as He hung on the cross. He paid for it all, every ounce of our sin debt. And then You raised Him from the dead three days later, proving for everyone that He is the Lord, that He is the One to whom all of us will give an account for our lives. Every knee will bow someday. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you've promised us eternal life if we would turn from sin and trust in Jesus. That is our strong hope this morning. That is the only reason or way that we can be made right with you, what you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you so much. And you have promised us um, that you will gather with us this morning that where two or three people are gathered in the name of Jesus, that you are there with them, that this place this morning is a place of your grace, where your people have gathered to hear from you, to hear from your word, to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Please do that in us today. Please make everything that is said glorify Jesus and glorify you, Father and use it for our building up in Jesus. Uh, transform us by the power of Your grace. We trust You to do that because of Your kindness and Your mercy that You showed to us in Jesus. In His name we pray to You. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for letting me be with you this morning. My name is Peter Cushman. Uh, my wife is here this morning. I think she's with our little boy. We have a little boy named Hudson. He's feeling a little sick this morning. But he's going to turn one in just two weeks or so. Actually, one week now. On, on March 27th, he turns one. He's our only child. He's been a blast this last year. The Lord has given us a lot of grace. Um, by giving him to us, we've had a really wonderful time. So we've been married. We're in our fourth year of marriage. 
um, been living in Allen Park for that time. I grew up in Wisconsin. My wife grew up in South Bend, Indiana, and uh, we were married. We moved to Michigan, and I came for the seminary there at Inner City Baptist Church, the, the ministry of the church that's the seminary, came to go there. Um, and then just a year ago, I started working for the church, which has really been a blast. I have learned so many things in my time working for the church. So it's really a privilege for us to be with you today. Thank you so much for being guinea pigs, you know, for coming out on this morning. Really appreciate that. So I, I noticed, I was looking on your church's website to learn a little bit about the church, and I noticed you folks are doing Christianity Explored on April 7th. Are you all familiar with that? Is that something, that's true, right? So Christianity Explored is a uh, Bible study through the Gospel of Mark that's geared towards answering three questions for non-Christians. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does it mean to follow him? That's the design of it. Have you all done Christianity Explored before, or is this your first time hosting it? Second time? Okay, awesome. Our church is also starting Christianity Explored April 15th, so right after you guys. And that's part of my um, main responsibility at the church. Like the gentleman mentioned, I'm a pastoral assistant for outreach, so my job involves doing Bible studies with folks in the community one-on-one, doing small group Bible studies like Christianity Explored. So we're also starting that up really soon. So I thought this morning, uh, since we have that in common, we can take a look at a passage of Scripture together that reminds us how we share the Gospel and why we share the Gospel. Okay, so if you all would open up with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Paul here explains for us why he shared the gospel, and how he shared the gospel. And his answers for those two questions are our answers, especially as we think of Christianity Explored and sharing the hope we have with other folks. So if you could open up to 2 Corinthians 4, that's what we'll be looking at today. Specifically, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to read that in just a second. But before we do that, a little bit of background information to bring us up to speed with why Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. So throughout this letter, he's defending himself against some false teachers who were influencing the, Christ, the, the Corinthian church. He called them false apostles. And these folks were undermining his, they were undermining his influence and his authority among that church. They were false apostles. They weren't true apostles. And they were getting the Corinthians to question Paul and Paul's teaching, and Paul's influence in their life. And so Paul points this out in uh, chapter 11. He says this, And what I am doing, I will continue to do. There he's referring to preaching the gospel to the Corinthians without accepting money from them. He, he considered that his privilege, that he could share the gospel to them and not accept money from them so nobody would question his ministry. He said, I'm going to keep doing that in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of, unri- of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So that's just to show you that these false apostles were a big part of the problem he's addressing in this letter to the Corinthians. And they're working in the church undermining Paul's authority, and he's writing to defend himself against them. So uh, throughout this letter, 
you see this pop up where he's defending himself against these phonies. And that's a big part of what's going on in the paragraph we're going to read now. So that's just to give us a little bit of background info when we dive into what he says. So if you could look with me at 4, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so remember our our two questions we're going to try and answer. We're going to answer the first one first, right? And that question is, why do we share the gospel? And that's uh, the first question we're going to hone in as Paul answers it in verse 6 of chapter 4, the last verse that we read. So we're going to kind of work backwards. Why do we share the gospel? And Paul gives the reason right here. So notice he starts verse 6 with the word for. And that tells us that he is giving a reason in verse number 6. He's giving a reason for what he previously stated in verse number 5 as we read. So verse 6 contains the reason for what he did in verse 5. And verse 5 talks about how he proclaimed Christ as Lord and how he served the Corinthians. So he's saying, why do I proclaim Christ as Lord and why do I serve you Corinthians? And the the reason is found in verse 6. And the reason is this, because God had shown light into his heart. God had graciously enabled him to believe in the gospel. So that's kind of the the first truth of our sermon this morning. God has graciously enabled us to believe the gospel. And this was also true for Paul. That was his motivation for sharing Christ with other people, and specifically the Corinthians. That God had graciously enabled him to believe in the gospel. That's his motivation. That is the reason why he shared the truth of the gospel with other people. And that motivation is the same motivation for us. Because God had graciously opened his eyes to believe in Jesus and rescued him from death, from eternal death, rescued him from the power of sin and the curse of sin, he wanted to share that same incredible blessing with other people. He was motivated to share the gospel with other people because God had graciously enabled him to believe the gospel. That's what was driving him to share it with other people. And that's what drives us in a thing like Christianity Explored. We realize... God has graciously rescued us. He has saved us from sin and death. And that ought to push us towards other people in love, wanting them to experience that same salvation and life and rescue. And that's what was driving Paul. So let's kind of walk through this phrase by phrase to get a full sense of what he means. So notice he says, uh, at first, in the first part of verse 6, 
He references God as the Creator. He reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and he says, The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. The same God who spoke things into existence with His words. Who said, Let there be light. And really, physically, in creation, there was light from darkness. This is the same God who by His word of truth, the Gospel has shown light into dark hearts and dark sinful hearts like Paul's heart. And he's done it with his words, just like he created the entire universe with his words. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What did he do? Like Paul said, he has shown into our hearts. And the truth behind this that we must remember laced throughout the Bible and the New Testament is that we come into this world with a dark and a sinful heart. We come into this world as a rebel set against God, dead in sin, spiritually lifeless, unable to respond to God, no relationship with God, cut off from God. And if that's going to change, God must illumine our hearts. He must shine light into our dead hearts. And if He doesn't do that, we're dead. The, the point of it is, what can a dead person do for themselves? A dead person can't do anything for themselves. They're lifeless, they're feelingless, they're actionless, they can't do anything. And spiritually speaking, that's how we come into this world, dead. Unless God intervenes, unless He shines light, just like He created light when He created the universe. Unless He does that, we're dead. And Paul really gets at this truth in a lot of what he writes. Like he says in 1 Corinthians, the natural person, the person without the work of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually dead. They can't understand. Unless God shines light, we don't understand his truth. That's just the reality of it. We're dead in sin. But it's even more complicated than that. Like Paul says in verse 4 of what we read, not only does our own sin prohibit us from understanding God's truth, he says this in... Uh, Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 4. In their case, the case of those who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, this, this works on two levels. Not only does our own sin nature prevent us from believing God's truth and seeing the glory of Jesus as the Son of God, but also... Satan prevents us, apart from a work of God, from believing God's truth. Apart from the illumination of God, God's shining light, Satan prevents folks from believing the truth of God. It, it, Paul calls Satan the God of this world or the God of this age, and, and John calls Satan the ruler of this age. That's why Paul calls him the God of this world. He blinds the minds of non-Christians, of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the gospel. So not only is it our own sin that keeps us from believing God's truth, but it's also Satan. Uh, people, humans, apart from a work of God, are both villain and victim. It is both our own personal sin that blinds us to God's truth. Uh, we are the villain, but we are also the victim. Satan 
has done a work to blind unbelievers and to keep them from seeing the gospel. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy, he's talking about folks who oppose the truth, telling Timothy what his attitude should be towards these people. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So all of us, apart from God's work of illumination, apart from Him shining light into, his, into our dead and dark hearts, our spiritually lifeless hearts, we are all villain and victim. It is our own sin nature, our own rebellion against God and rejection of God that keeps us from understanding and believing His truth. That's true, but it's also a work of Satan in this ruling over this present age and this sinful world where he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And if that's going to change, if those, the power of those two influences is going to be broken, God must intervene. He has to shine light into dark and sinful hearts. And Paul is saying, God has graciously done this for us. He has reached out and snatched us from death, rescued us when we had no hope. When we were blind in our sin and death, He shined light and illuminated the darkness, just like He did when there was a dark universe at the very beginning. And he said, let there be light. So when He shines that light, like Paul goes on to say in 4.6, it looks like this. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. So he, he, this is what He does. He affirms in our hearts that Jesus is the Lord. And remember, that, that was Paul's message, like he said in 4.5. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. God affirms the truth in our hearts, the truth of His Word, that Jesus is the Son of God. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that He is the Creator, that He is the Lord. Like Philippians 2 says, God affirms in our heart the Lordship of Jesus that like Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he affirms personally that we should relate to Jesus as our Lord, as our ruler, as our king. He affirms in our hearts the historical reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that some 2,000 years ago there really was a man who was fully God and fully man, and he was murdered by the Romans and rejected by his own people, but that that happened in the, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God and is the only hope of redemption for sinful people like us and that God really raised Him from the dead and exalted Him. That's what it means when Paul says, we preach Jesus as Lord. And when God shines light into a dead and dark heart, He makes that sinful and hardened heart believe these truths, affirm these truths that Jesus really is Lord. That's what God does when He shines light and when He illuminates. And, and Paul, he, it's kind of a strange phrase if you think about it at the end of verse 6. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. That sounds very poetic and it's kind of intriguing. And if we're going to understand the fullness of it, we need to understand a little bit of what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. So let's kind of try and dig deep and backtrack a little bit and get the full sense of what he's saying. So he's using imagery here in these chapters to talk about what God's done in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he dredges up 
an Old Testament story with Moses. So, uh, in, in this, he, he's comparing, in these chapters, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, Paul is comparing the infinite and incredible glory of what God is doing now in the New Covenant, giving Christians the Holy Spirit who transforms them, who makes them new, um, who makes them alive, what God is doing now through the Gospel and in the church. He compares that with what um, God had done through Moses and in the Old Testament, through Moses and the Mosaic Covenant when He gave Moses the law. And you remember some of that and are familiar with that. He's comparing and he's saying uh, what God did through Moses when God delivered, He revealed the law to Moses. That was glorious and that was pretty incredible. But what God is doing now in the church, giving people His Spirit, dead sinners His Spirit, and making them alive, giving them eternal life through the good news of Jesus, what He's doing in the New Covenant and in the church, that is infinitely more glorious than what God did for Moses in the Old Testament. That's overall in chapter 3 and 4 what he's saying. So he brings up this story when he's comparing these two things, what God's doing now with what God did in the Old Testament. He brings up this story and he mentions that when God delivered the law to Moses, the skin of his face literally shone with a dazzling glory to the point where people were afraid to look at him. Look at um, 2 Corinthians 3.7. Just across the page. Look there really quickly. It says this. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone. Now when Paul says that, he's talking about the Mosaic Law. You know, carved in letters of stone. You can see that imagery. The Ten Commandments carved by the fingers of God on stone. That The Mosaic Law, like Paul says throughout the New Testament, it brought condemnation. It brought a knowledge of sin. That we have violated God's truth but it did not give people the Spirit of God that could actually transform them and make them new. God has done that through Jesus and through the cross and through the new covenant. So that's why it brought death. That's why he says, that's why he calls it the ministry of death, because it brought a knowledge of sin and condemnation that we can't measure up to God. So he says, It came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end. So let's go back really quick. This is the only other passage we're going to turn to. Let's go back to Exodus 34, 29 through 35. And let's look at this for ourselves. It's worth it, I promise. It's incredible. Go back to Exodus 34 really quick with me. And let's look at what Paul's talking about. It's very intriguing. I think this will encourage us and strengthen us to see the fullness of what he's saying. Exodus 34, 29-35, and it says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, 
he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Until he went in to speak with him, referring to the Lord. That's a really intriguing story, isn't it? That's pretty incredible that when Moses was talking to the Lord, his skin, the skin on his face, literally radiated the glory of God. This is like the moon. We can, help, we can think of this like the moon. Does the moon radiate its own light? No, right? It reflects the light of the sun. The light of the moon is not inherent to, it, inherent to itself. It's reflecting something else. And this is what's happening with Moses. He's literally experiencing the brilliant and dazzling glory of God when he's communing with God and receiving truth from God. And he goes out to tell it to the people and his skin is radiating with that glory like the moon radiates the light of the sun. So, so Paul's point... So this is, this is this imagery that Paul is tapping into, talking about the glory of God shining on the face of Jesus Christ. That's why we're going back to try to understand this. So look at uh, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. We're back to our passage in 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13. Now Paul says this, which is pretty astonishing. He says, Since we have such a hope, We are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So Paul's point is this when he says that. Unlike Moses, who was a minister of the old covenant, like he called it, um, covenant of death, minister of the old covenant, Paul, a minister of the new covenant, he doesn't wear a veil over his face. Instead, Paul shines out and radiates the glory of Jesus. So remember the story. When Moses went in to talk with the Lord, his face would radiate with the glory of God and he would go back out and talk to the people, communicate what the Lord had told him, and the people were terrified when they saw his face that it was literally shining. So he would put a veil over his face. And Paul's point is, what God is doing now in the church, in the new covenant, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is so much more incredible than even Moses' face literally shining with the glory of God. Paul says, Moses was a minister of the Old Covenant and he veiled his face when he talked to the people. I'm a minister of the New Covenant and I am more bold and the New Covenant is so much more glorious than even that that I don't veil my face. I shine out and radiate the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. I'm bolder than Moses. I don't veil my face. I don't cover it. I radiate the glory of Jesus. And and what he's talking about is not literal light shining from his face. He's talking about what God was doing in his heart to transform him by the Spirit of God into the image of Jesus. To make him a new creation instead of someone dominated by sin. He's saying, I don't veil that. I shine that out. That's his point. And he makes another pretty astounding point for us. So, so keep looking. And this time, look at 3.18. 3.18, he says in Second Corinthians, And we all, with unveiled faces, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And his point here is, so remember, who got to go in? In the Old Covenant, uh, with Moses, who got to go in and talk to the Lord and then communicate to the people? Just Moses, right? Moses' face was the only one shining with the glory of God. But the amazing thing about what God is doing now in the New Covenant, in the church, by His Spirit, what He's doing in you and what He's doing in me, is that we all experience this transformation where we radiate the glory of God. In the Old Covenant, only Moses got to go in and commune with God and come back out to the people. But Paul says in that verse, and we all, not just Paul, a minister of the Gospel, a minister of the New Covenant, kind of like a pastor or missionary, not just Paul, but all of the members of the New Covenant, you, a member of the church with the Spirit of God, a believer in the Gospel, you radiate out this same glory of God by God's work in your life, transforming you by the power of the Holy Spirit to reflect Jesus, to look like Jesus. So it's, it's not just Moses in the, in the New Covenant that gets to experience this, or not just Paul. It's everybody. And the, the final point that Paul makes as he talks about this Old Testament story is that all of us can see the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. So the, the picture here that he's using is Moses would go in and he would commune with God and he would experience God's glory. And all of us uh, who have the Spirit of God, people whom God has shown light into our hearts and illuminated our darkness and our hard hearts of sin, just like Moses could go in and experience the glory of God, we can all see God's glory shining on the face of Jesus Christ. That brings us back to verse 6 where we began. We were trying to walk through that and just understand the sense of verse 6. That's why he says, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. Just like Moses got to see God's glory, we get to see God's glory shining on the face of Jesus. And that's what God does in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us life and shining light and making us alive. That's, that's the sense of what he's saying here. And that is just an absolutely incredible privilege Like Moses saw the glory of God and it radiated from his face, we can see the glory of God on the face of Jesus and we're being transformed in the image of Jesus by the work of the Spirit. That's the glory that radiates from us. So remember, that's the answer to our first question. Why do we share the Gospel? We share the Gospel because God has graciously enabled us to believe the Gospel. That's our motivation and we want other people to experience this too. That was Paul's motivation that God had shown light into his heart And he wanted that same blessing for other folks. And then the last question, um, how do we share the gospel? What was Paul's method? He answers that in this paragraph for us also. And here's his answer. We must diligently and openly proclaim the gospel. We must diligently and openly proclaim the gospel. Now look at at verse 1. Notice how Paul says, we do not lose heart. And that's where I'm getting that adverb, diligently. We don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't throw in the towel. We have to diligently proclaim the gospel through things like Christianity Explored, um, in our relationships with our non-Christian friends and family. We have to diligently proclaim the gospel. We can't lose heart. 
And he says in verse 1, um, the first reason he didn't lose heart is because God, and the first reason we shouldn't lose heart, is because God has chosen for us to do this by His mercy. He's enlisted us into His service by His mercy. This was even true for Paul, who we think is such an incredible guy. He says in verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God. He lists that as the reason why he didn't lose heart. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, that's the reason we don't lose heart. And, and we shouldn't lose heart because this is an incredible privilege that God has planned for us to be a part of. Uh, inherently, Paul did not deserve to be involved in what God is doing in the world, rescuing sinners from death and calling out a people to belong to himself. He didn't deserve to be a part of it. And neither do we. But God has graciously and mercifully made us a part of what He's doing in the world to save sinners and to call people out of the world to belong to Himself. So that, that should be motivation for us to not lose heart, to be diligent. That's why I said we must diligently and openly proclaim the Gospel. And for another thing, we must be diligent because the power to convert people, the power to shine light into dark hearts, rests with God alone. This is not saving people. Causing people to believe in the gospel is something we cannot do. We cannot manipulate. We cannot uh, coerce. We cannot force people to believe in Jesus. It's only something God does by shining light into people's hearts. So we've got to be diligent about it because, like the Bible tells us elsewhere in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. God shines the light of the gospel into people's hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If people don't hear, they will not believe and be saved. And God works His power through people hearing the Word. So we have to diligently share the Word with people so that God can work by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can't lose heart and we can't give up because the power comes from God to do this. And He shines light, and we preach Christ. So we have to be diligent with our responsibility to preach Christ so that He will shine light. Does that make sense? We can't give up. We have to diligently do this. And we have to openly do this too. And that's Paul's point where he says, or in, um, backing up just a little bit, so we have, to, we have to diligently proclaim because God's the one who saves people. And even if folks don't believe the Gospel, that should not cause us to be discouraged, uh, to lose heart, to question the truthfulness of the gospel. Because like Paul tells us, people are blinded by Satan and they are captives of Satan. Like he says in, in 4, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Um, and, and like he had mentioned before, because the God of this world has blinded them. So even if folks don't believe like Paul says, that didn't cause him to lose heart. And that doesn't cause us to lose heart and to give up because we recognize that people are blinded by Satan. They're blinded by their own sin. Unless God does a work to shine light, they won't believe. So when people refuse and they don't believe, that doesn't make us question and go, well, I wonder if the gospel isn't true. I wonder if there is a better way. I wonder if Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't cause us to be shaken in our faith because we have to remember People are blinded by their own sin and captives of Satan. And because of that, we must diligently share Christ with them. 
And then the last part, he says, he openly proclaims the gospel. That's his method. That's what, he, that's what he's getting at when he says in verse 2 and 3, we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. Now, to, to get the full sense of this, we have to remember, like we mentioned in the beginning, that throughout this letter, Paul is defending himself against those false apostles among the Corinthians. And when he says these things, that he's renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways, that he refuses to practice cunning or tamper with God's Word, when he says those things, he probably has in mind the methods of these false apostles. Um, probably indicated from some other places in the letter, they are working for shameful monetary gain. And they're, they're among the Corinthians undermining Paul's authority, trying to convince people that he's not a true messenger of Jesus and that they should listen to the false apostles over Paul. They've got these, these shameful, disgraceful, underhanded, manipulative ways. And Paul says, that's not our, that's not our method. That's not what I do. And that shouldn't be our method through things like Christianity Explored or when we share the truth with our friends and our, and our family members. Um, we can see Paul defending himself against this in another place where he says, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was not crafty. Or he says, I was crafty, you say, and I got the better of you by deceit. He says, no, that's not my method at all. Paul wasn't a charlatan. He wasn't... Um, proclaiming the gospel simply for money and shameful monetary gain. He wasn't deceitful with people or tricky with people. He says, on the contrary, in 4, verse 2, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here's Paul's method. He simply and openly explained the truth of Jesus as Lord. This is how he presented himself as something good or something commendable to others. He wasn't manipulating people. He simply explained God's truth with a genuine heart. That's how he commended himself to other people or tried to build a reputation among other people um, just by simply, openly explaining the truth. He wasn't deceitful or shameful. And he did this, like he said, before God, with God as His judge and His witness, with a genuine heart and a pure conscience, He simply set forth the truth of God for people. Uh, not being manipulative or deceitful in any way. And He didn't change God's Word. He didn't tweak it. He didn't tamper with it. Um, he didn't preach things that God has not revealed to Him. He didn't tailor the Gospel to, to meet the felt needs of His hearers. He didn't try and figure out... Some people feel the pressure to try and figure out the problems in people's lives and what people want and what people need and then to try and come up with a way that the Gospel can meet that need. For example, your marriage is on the rocks and you're struggling in your marriage and you can't get along. Well, if you believe in Christ, He'll fix your marriage. Or you're struggling in your parenting and you've got a broken home and you, you don't know what to do with your kids and how to raise them. And uh, if you turn to Christ... He'll give you the perfect family. Some people feel that pressure to try and meet the felt need of other people so that they will believe in Jesus. And that's manipulative and that's underhanded. You're trying to offer them something else instead of Jesus. When in truth, Jesus said, 
if you believe in me, actually your life is probably going to get harder than it currently is. So Paul says, we don't, we don't do that. We're not deceitful or underhanded with other people. We simply set forth the truth of the gospel that Jesus is Lord. We tell people that there is a Creator God to whom you are accountable, to whom you will answer someday at His eternal judgment. And if you have rejected the only hope of salvation that He provided, salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the sinless, fully God and fully man, who God sent to give His life as a ransom for many, who died on a cross to pay the penalty for sin we deserve, the penalty of death, who rose from the dead in victory, crushing sin and death, that that is our only hope. And if you don't believe in that, then you'll be condemned by God for your sin because you don't have a substitute payment for your sin. The only one He's given us in Jesus. He just clearly set forth that message for people, not in a manipulative way or a deceitful way, begging for God to shine light into folks' hearts so that they would believe, so that they could believe. And that's got to be our, our same method. We're not doing a bait and switch, trying, just trying to convince people to believe in the gospel. Our method must be simply setting forth the truth of the gospel in love. Speaking the truth in love, just like Jesus, full of grace and truth. So, as we begin Christianity Explored together in these next couple of weeks here at the beginning of April, let's remember this all in all. And this is the sum of it in one theme. Since God graciously enabled us to believe the gospel, we must share the gospel diligently and openly with others. Since God graciously enabled us to believe the gospel, we must share the gospel diligently and openly with others. Let's, let's trust God to shine His light, just like He created light from darkness in the very beginning. Let's trust His power. Let's trust Him to save His people, to shine His light. Let's show that we trust Him by focusing on simply explaining His Word in love for other people, on just diligently and openly explaining the Gospel out of love for other people, not feeling like we need to manipulate, like we've got to take something out of the message that's unpalatable, that people don't like or disagree with, not feeling like we need to do like a, a bait-and-switch kind of a thing but just simply trusting God to shine His light by explaining the message to other people. And that's, let's remember that if, even if people don't believe, that doesn't cause us to be shaken. That doesn't cause us to doubt and say, hey, somebody rejected this. I don't know if it's true now. I don't know if this is really working. We must remember that people who don't believe are perishing because of their sin and because the God of this world has blinded them. We must cry out to God, show mercy, show mercy on other people just like you have shown mercy to me. So let's really beg God for help to do this through this next round of Christianity Explored and as we share the gospel all throughout our lives. Would you pray with me and ask God for His help? Father, thank You so much for shining light into our hearts so that we could see Your glory radiating on the face of Jesus Christ. Thank You so much for graciously breathing life into us by the power of the Holy Spirit, for making us alive, for taking us from being dead in sin to alive in Jesus. 
That is only, you only did that for us because of your mercy, not by works of righteousness done that we've done, but according to your mercy. Thank you so much. And thank you for giving us your spirit to live inside of us, to transform us from one degree of glory to the next, where we are reflecting the glory of Jesus in our lives as Jesus makes us a new creation, as the Holy Spirit makes us a new creation and turns back the curse of sin and all of the effects of sin, changing us in the inner man, renewing us in the inner man so that we shine out the glory of Jesus. Please do that more and more for us and please help us. We really want other folks to experience this incredible mercy. We don't have this because we're better people than other people. We only experience this because of your infinite love and mercy. And through things like Christianity Explored, we want other people to come to know Jesus and the infinite mercy we have in Him. So please work. Oh, please, Father, work and save sinners. Please bless this church and these folks as they reach out to people with the truth of Jesus, as they reach out in love. Please, Bring their friends and family who don't know Christ to hear the gospel and shine light. And please do that for our church at Inner City. Please bring folks to hear the good news of Jesus and shine light and save more and call out a people for the name of Jesus. It's in His name we know that you will carry on His mission. In His name we pray. Amen.